This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 210. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. And if this is your first time joining us today, welcome. Thank you for listening. This show is all about how to take your creativity and how to turn it into an actual business, typically through freelancing. If you're joining us again after listening to us before, thank you for coming back again. Today's episode is uh, what I would consider a rare treat. And the reason I say that is because our guest today, James Victoria, is someone that I've never had a chance to talk with someone like this before. He is a designer. He is an artist. He is a coach. He's a keynote speaker that's spoken to some very large corporations. And some of his design clients are Adobe, MailChimp, Time Magazine, Esquire Magazine, The New York Times, The City of New York. You may have heard of that before. But the cool thing is he's had his his work actually exhibited at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City twice And even cooler than that, at least to me, maybe I'm impressed by stuff that shouldn't be impressed by, but this sounds incredibly impressive to me, is he has permanent collections in the Louvre in Paris. And I don't know about you, but I've never gotten the chance to speak to someone before today that has their work displayed in the Louvre, which I've been to twice now. And I thoroughly enjoyed my experiences there. So today's episode, we got to talk about something that I think is rampant in our community as creatives, especially creatives who are trying to monetize our creativity. And this is something that I think is James's superpower and the reason he was able to accomplish all these things, working with these big name clients, having his work displayed in places like the Louvre. He was able to accomplish this because he overcame the thing that holds us back more than anything. And that is fear. Before you turn this podcast off, before you run away, I promise you, this is something you need to hear. Even myself, listening to James talk today, I'm thinking through the things that I'm letting get in my own way, because no matter how successful you get, you're still going to be always dealing with the fear element, no matter where you are in your career. Even James talks about, even today, working on a new book that he has, he is dealing with the fear gremlin on his shoulder, trying to tell him what to write and what not to write. So this is something that we, we never solve. We only resolve for the time being. And this episode, we talk about fear of self-worth, which again, this, this is pretty much every freelancer, every creative has some sort of fear around self-worth, which leads to bad pricing. It leads to taking on clients you shouldn't take on, all sorts of things. We talk about self-doubt. We talk about perfectionism, which is my personal demon. We talk about procrastination. We also talk about a lot of other things, but these are the core of, I think, the things that ruin so many creatives, especially those who are trying to monetize their creativity. And James has done a wonderful job of helping not just us, but a lot of people through his book called, stick with me here, the book is called Feck Perfection, which is a wonderful title. The entire book is about addressing these core issues that we have as creatives and how to be a brave, courageous creative. So without any more uh, delay here, here is my interview with James Victoria. James, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's a pleasure to be here, Brian. I am happy to be here, and uh, thank you for asking. The reason we want to have you on the show is, is because I know our audience well. After 209 episodes, you're our 210th. One of our biggest, I don't know what you would call it. It's our own like version of a pandemic, our own plague going through our community as creatives, and that is this pandemic of fear. We have as creatives so much fear coursing through our veins And it is absolutely wrecking our businesses because we're a business-focused podcast. I say it all the time on this podcast, there's no difference between us as human beings and all the baggage we have along with that and the things that we create in our businesses. So if you can't get your personal life right and deal with all the fear and the baggage that's surrounding with that, 
there's no way to have a successful business as a freelancer or as any kind of creative. So you have on your website and through your books we'll talk about, or your main book that we'll talk about in upcoming books, you say that your mission in life is to help creatives on teaching them how to overcome creative challenges and gain creative courage. And your book is called Feck Perfection, which is one of my all-time favorite book titles I've ever had. You have it on the screen right now if you're watching the YouTube version of this. So you've written the book on this. Like you have written the book. The core of this book, I think, is helping overcoming fear and giving creative courage. So I'd love to start just by getting the reasoning behind. It's probably the same reasoning that I wanted to have you on the show, but the reasoning behind the book in general, like why write a book about overcoming fear as a creative? So the first part of writing a book isn't writing a book. People are like, how do I write a book? Where do I get an agent? What about a publisher? I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on there. So the first part of writing a book isn't writing a book. It's collecting a book. And most people are collecting book and they don't even know it. You know, they got a drawer full of shit. They got a, has notebooks full of notes. And I have a notebook around here somewhere. Big, big black hardbound notebook that I had for years. And on the spine, I had just written in a white pen. I had written everything because it was everything I had. It was everything. I. It was all these thoughts. It was all, it was something from Churchill. It was all these things that I'd collected or I wrote in it or, and I might as well have just like kept it for myself or pulled out the good stuff and spiral bound that and just read that to myself every morning. But I woke up one day and I thought, well, you know, I need this information. Maybe somebody else needs it. So I basically took that, all that stuff and put it into, I first put it into a talk. And at one of my talks, an editor from Chronicle Books came up to me and said, I think you have a book about inspiration for entrepreneurs in you. And I said, I have been constipated for two years with a book about inspiration for entrepreneurs. So please help me. And they just paved the way and helped me, you know, basically go through. I went through everything and turned it into fact perfection. And in, really, in doing it, one, I learned out, I learned that I was a perfectionist and I didn't know it. And two, yes, there is an overarching addressing of fear in the book. Perfection is my, is the way fear shows up for me because perfectionism is to me just a mask of fear and it's afraid to put something out in the world until it's perfect, which again, there is no such thing as perfection. So fuck perfection, right? Yeah. It's, it's a myth. Yeah. Everybody has their version of, of fear for some it's self-worth. So they don't know how to price. They don't know how to talk about money. They don't know how to, how to ask for more. They don't know how to uh, set a price for their work. They don't know how to talk about money for some it's self-doubt. For some, it is uh, perfectionism. For some, it's perfectionism's ugly sister procrastination, right? Sorry about the ugly sister thing. That was really, that was just dumb. <laughs> but ugly brother doesn't work. Fear has got like all kinds of different ways that it presents itself. And there may be somebody out there going, oh yeah, I've got self-worth. Oh yeah, self-doubt. Oh yeah, perfectionism. Oh yeah, procrastination. But the thing is, and what I try to do when I work with people, whether they're, whether they're, whether they're hopefully reading the book or whether they're, we're working with you on one or they come to Camp Victory or whatever, it's just, just to, the, the best thing I can do is just to, just to give them a bunch of tools and give them a bunch of ways to, a mindset literally resetting the mind, give them a new mindset to understand that fear is a fucking lie. That's the thing. The fear is a lie. And the reason we have that fear, if you want to go back to the neurology of it, is that when you were born, when we were born, we are so perfect and full of energy and full of love and full of play and full of potential. And then we're given parents. And then we're given school. And then we're given shithead 10-year-old friends who don't know their ass and their elbow. 
And then we're given, you know, sit in rank and file. And then we're given rules. And then we're given society. And then we're given this piece of shit, right? He's holding up a phone for if you're listening on the podcast and can't see. He's just holding up a phone. <laughs> so what happens is we are born beautiful. And I mean, the first lines of fact perfection say we are all born wildly creative. And some of us just forgot. And the reason we forget, the reason we give it away, the reason we sell our dreams is because that's the way society works best. The best way to put it, it comes from Carl Jung. And he says, unless we make our subconscious conscious, meaning when fear comes up, you have to understand that those are pre-recorded voices. That is somebody else. That is your parents wanting you to be safe, but not successful. That's why they say, well, you should maybe, well, you know, the creative thing is okay, but maybe you should be an accountant first, right? That's fucking bullshit. Those pre-recorded voices embed that fear in our subconscious. So you might still go to art school, but it ain't going to happen because you haven't dealt with that. So what we do, unless we make our subconscious conscious, that means when we feel that fear in our gut, when we hear those voices in our head, pull them out, stop, take a breath. Pull them out, look at them in your hands like the scared little bird that they are and say, I see you. I know where you came from. I know who you are. You're the stupid ass uncle who said nobody makes a living writing poetry. Hey, uncle, did you ever try? How many letters did you submit? How many times did you get turned down? Or did you just pull that out of your ass? Because you don't know shit. Right. So that's how the pre-recorded voices are formed. And unless we question them, unless we see them and let them go, we're going to suffer from that. So Carl Jung says, unless we make our until we make our subconscious conscious, they will rule our lives. We will call it fate. Well, it's just who I am. It's like people who like fear comes up in a bunch of different ways. And my favorites are when people say, oh, yeah, I'm not very good at parties. What does that mean? That's the dumbest thing I ever, who doesn't like to go to a party? That's the dumbest thing ever. No, I know, you know, I don't like doing, you know, it's like the shyness or people who say, you know, I'm an introvert or somebody I was talking to the other day, they said, this was like a peer of mine. This was a guy who's like corporate CEO, right? Saying, well, I'm kind of an introvert, but you know, at certain times I can be an extrovert. So I realized there's this thing called the ambivert and that's what I am. I'm like, you mean you're normal? You mean you're fucking human? Why do you have to label it? I'm an introvert. I'm, and I'm an extra, like, can't you just be? Because what he's done is he's taken those subconscious voices and he's made them conscious, but then he labeled them as right. He hasn't gotten rid of them. He just labeled them as right. So he's still carrying that fear and still as a, yeah, as a 50 year old adult, still going to therapy for it. So he's categorized them and because he's, he knows the name for it, he's justified. That's just how I am. Instead of actually addressing the issue. That's the thing. What's the thing? That's what we do with our fear. We learn to love our limitations. And I call it in my new book, um, in my new book I'm writing, or the follow-up to fake perfection, in my new book, it's a whole thing. It's called Cruising Pain. So I live, in, I don't know about you, I live in this uh, relatively small Texas town. And every once in a while I'm walking, I'm in the grocery store, and I'm like, I look around, and I'm like, I just want to get on the megaphone and I'm like, or, you know, the, 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 you know, clean up an aisle tent thing and say, is everybody in this town hobbled in some way? <laughs> everybody limps or walks hunched over or has some disability? Three years ago now, I had a really bad dirt bike accident and I broke my right collarbone and all of my ribs on the right side. It was horrible. And you can't do anything about that except let it 
freaking heal, right? And it took forever. And what happened was my body got all wonky. Like the my right arm hung longer than my left. My muscles all atrophied. All this weirdness. And I was active on the road speaking because it was just before quarantine. I was active on the road speaking. And I would be up there and I would talk. I couldn't like pour a jug of water because it hurt so bad. The talk was, listen, I am not going to f***ing get used to this. But we do. We accept those limitations. We accept our cruising pain. Then we just live in that instead of doing the work and getting over it. So now I've been, you know, I, I took myself to the gym. I'm like made myself completely symmetrical and bulk ass stronger than I was prior to that. Because I'm not going to let my limitations or my fears or anything get in the way of me being a strong dad, me being a strong partner to a beautiful woman, you know, or me being able to get up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning so I can write this new book. And I was out at four o'clock this morning writing the new book and up popped the critic, up popped my parents, up popped the voices are still there. You're not going to get rid of the fear, but you get better at dealing with them. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much to unpack in that because I have stories of my own that mirror what you have found true and what is absolutely true. One of the things that you, you talked about cruising pain, and this reminds me of a trip I had to Texas with a friend of mine. And we stayed at his parents' house in Dallas. While we were there, we just ate whatever they had around the house. And it was like really unhealthy junk food. And we just felt like absolute shit the entire time. And me and my friend, Brandon, who actually, Brandon has actually been on this podcast a couple of times. Me and Brandon looked at each other. And we were like, this is just how people like this feel all the time. This is just their normal this is their cruising pain, I guess, is what you would say. And they just get used to it. And there's, they know no difference. But me and Brandon here in Nashville, we eat healthier. We eat or, mostly organic. We eat the right macronutrients and the right micronutrients. And we, we know that we should feel the, a certain way. And because we have felt the good way before, we know how bad the normal way feels to other people. So how do we, how do we start to spot that? I think it goes back to what you said where you need to make the subconscious conscious. How do we do that? Because if you've never felt normal, how do you know that you are abnormal right now? Like, how do you know that, that fear is a lie? How do you know that these things are just the stories that we're subconsciously trained to think because of the trauma we had as children or as young adults and not actually something that is true? Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be like trauma is a, is a subtle thing. It doesn't have to be like you were, you were beat as a child or, you know, abused or it was a car accident or whatever. It's just the subtle thing. I had a perfectly normal childhood, but I can see in there the teasing. You know, I can see in there where the lack of self-worth comes from. Again, the grocery store, I'm like, everything the person in front of us is buying is white. Whole milk, white bread, you know, white boxes and cans, not a fucking green vegetable, <laughs> nothing gluten-free, just like, you know, sodas, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh my God. That is so unhealthy. And I think most people don't even understand that. Like I follow people, you know, on Twitter and Instagram and stuff and like people who are 30 or 40 and they're like, oh, I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'll start. I'm like, I'm like 60 and I pop out of bed hungry and horny, ready to go. Give me a break. What are you doing? It's like I had this doctor back in Brooklyn and I, you know, we would have these very honest talk. He was a holistic doctor. So he was, he was really fascinating. He was like interested in my habits. Like, you know, Hey, how's the guitar going? How's, you know, hobbies and stuff. You know, I used to say, you know, I see some of the people in the waiting room and when they come into your office, I felt like if I took my truck to my mechanic 
and I had let it go to shit and I'd put all this stupid stuff on it, he would be like, why is that there? What are you putting in this thing? <laughs> Why are your tires flat? Why did you put too big of a this on it? Why do you have a snowplow in Texas? You know what I mean? But that's what most people do with their bodies and they don't even know it, but they feel bad. And creatively, it's easy to know your trauma. It's easy to know that cruising pain because, you know, you feel it all the time. You're like, well, this is, this is what I really love, but I better not send it because, or I better, this is what I love, but I better send three things. People, when people ask me, hey, can we see options? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, can you send us three things? I said, are you going to pay me three times? Because I can do this all day. I can send you 150 fucking things and they'll all be pretty fucking good. But you're going to pay me three times? I'll do three things. It's like, why can't we stand our ground? Why can't we have autonomy and own our shit? If you go to a restaurant, I mean, it's a classic thing and you order the chicken and it doesn't look good. What do you do? Oh, I'm sorry, that doesn't look good. Can we try again? Can we try another option? Like, no, nobody does that except us. Or when you're, you know, pricing something out or you're afraid to say a high number. It's easy to spot. It's not easy to fix because it's fear. You know, it's long bred inside of us. Yeah. So if we're, if we're looking at, you listed out four different major fears and they manifest themselves in a bunch of different ways. You said fear of self-worth, which can affect how you price yourself, how you value what you do in any number of ways. You said fear of self-worth, self-doubt is another huge one. Perfectionism, which is my personal uh, demon and procrastination, which can be my demon occasionally, but not lately. Again, these kind of go back to those things that happen to us as young children or not even young children. Sometimes it's young adults. Mo, you know, all those things that you listed, you can get those at your first job. You can get those from a bad boss. I know people who have one stinky boss. And there are many, I freaking know a million of them. <laughs> there are a lot of bad bosses out there. And, you know, you get one bad boss and he can, he can pee in your pool for, uh, you know, the next 20 years. So it's one thing to spot these because I think most people are not going to have a big issue of like understanding, oh, I fear I, I have low self-worth or I have self-doubt or I have perfectionism, I have procrastination. So that's the easy part. The hard part is now figuring out what's the path to go from these things are ruling my life. They're in the driver's seat of my life and my business. Now, how do we get them the hell out of here so that we can actually start to create, start to, to be better people, to work from a place, not from fear, but of what could be created? Because like, I love how you said, we're all born creative. Some of us just forget. And so I, I feel like the ones who forgot are the ones who let the fear drive us our entire lives to safety, which is to me, safety is the complete antithesis of creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I had a, I got a guy, uh, David, who came to Camp Victoria a couple years ago, and he was a uh, university instructor. He ran a creative department for a university. And after camp, he said, you know, I came thinking I was going to become um, better at teaching creativity, like tools and, you know, brushes. And I was learned some, you know, he said, I realized that I couldn't even begin to do that until I learned to become a better person. Because that's what it is to like, even if I taught you awesome Photoshop skills and how to use a Sumi brush and, you know, like you still can't do better work because you can't present better work because you can't talk about better work because you can't set the expectations for the client because you can't ask for the money that you now deserve. You can't, you're still coming from a hobbled place, right? So yeah, that's the funny thing is like, once you see it, once you understand it, then you need, then you need to go to the next level. And the next level is something so incredibly simple, but so incredibly hard. It's called self-love. You have to learn that like, oh my God, I was born so fucking smart and talented. And I love what I do. And I can see past the client and see into the audience. That's how I talk to, you know, weird clients. I'm like, I see what you want. 
but I know your audience and I know what they want. And they want to hear from an honest, true voice. They want someone real to share their experience with them. You know, that's one of the reasons why I don't really do client-based work anymore because I can't find brave, interesting clients that want to do that. You know, I'm a racehorse. You want to change the world? Hire me. But what pe most people do with a racehorse is they want it to pull an apple cart. I'm like, nah, next. <laughs> and so, you know, we have to learn how to love and appreciate who we are and what we do, what we're capable of, and understand, understand that that gift was put inside of us for a reason. So we should make it pay rent, right? We should, we should make it, make it do its job. Doing its job doesn't mean getting paid to, you know, punch in on time and do a, a high level of mediocre work when you know in your heart that you're capable of more. And that's where the soul sucking comes from. People talk about soul sucking jobs. That's where it comes from. When you know in your heart that you're like, I'm just passing time here. I'm not adding to anything. I'm not contributing to society. I'm not really doing anything because I know that I, there's something inside of me. Yeah, so I think one of the the reasons this can happen, or one of the one of the things holding people back from this, honestly, is that they are not being true to who they are. They're they're trying to live a life that makes someone else happy instead of making themselves happy. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't, because most freelancers' number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step -step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one -on -one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. This is actually getting into your book, which is Feck Perfection. Again, love saying that so much. I don't know if my audio editors are going to bleep any of that out or not. Who knows? Good luck, Leland, on figuring that out. Uh, <laughs> but you, you talk about um, in your book, fitting in versus being weird. Let's just talk about the mindset of trying to fit in versus just allowing yourself to be different. Oh, well, fit in. I mean, just the words themselves. I mean, what does that feel like? You know, it's like fitting into an ill-fitting suit, fitting into a cubicle, a box with gray carpeting and fluorescent lighting. It's conforming. It's contorting. It's bending yourself at to someone else's preconceived notion of what creativity is. Right. So fitting in is bullshit. Fitting in is, you know, normal. And my heart hurts for humanity because I know that that's what most people kind of one they want just because it's easier. I mean, shit, I wish I wasn't James Victoria. I, I wish I could accept, you know, 20 pounds of gut weight and, uh, you know, a job that I kind of at an insurance company that I show up to and I get to go home from and not think about have a regular paycheck. I can take my kids to a water park on a weekend, you know, like pfft, that'd be cool. 
But yeah, no, fitting in uh, shows lack of character, really, and lack of self-love. It's easy. It's what we're taught to do, and it's what society wants us to do because it makes society work better. You know, every once in a while, someone says, yeah, but James, but like, what if everybody was artists? What would the world be like then? I'm like, you know what? Let's give that a show. Let's try that. Who knows? Couldn't be any worse than it is now, could it, buddy? (laughs) I think you're right there. So this is all part of, in your book, this is all part of finding your voice. And if the audience is listening or watching on YouTube right now, like they probably have a pretty good feel that like you're being no, no one other than James Victoria right now. You're not trying to be someone else. You're genuinely being who you are because you have found your voice. Talk about like some of the other things you have that you say, this is, I would rather be myself hundred percent all the time than to try to pretend to be someone else. Like you, you have opinions. You're a very strongly opinionated person, but a lot of people are afraid to ever talk about their opinions. They're afraid to ever ruffle feathers. And I'm sure if you haven't already, you will probably say something on this show that might offend people. If I haven't already. <laughs> a couple things there. Um, one is I have had a great career and I'm having a great career and it's getting better. But I bust my heart, you know? I, like I said, I'm out, I'm out early in the morning working and because I'm a hungry, horny guy. And I would rather, even if sometimes the bank gets lean, you know, we keep charging forward, but, you know, sometimes the bank might get lean, right? And it's like, I would rather have my kids see me humping and proud and happy doing this than me coming home and complaining every night about, you know, my work or not taught, not ever like, we don't know what our daddy does, right? My kids, they know what I do. And, and there's a number of spots in this town where my work is up in restaurants or in places and then they know it, they see it. Or you go to someone's house and they, there's a, you know, a print of mine. They're like, daddy, that's you. I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and the, the other part of that is, you know, for, for your listeners, if there's someone out there, and I know there is, who's saying, well, you know, that's good for you. You're James Victoria. No, man. No. I was like this when I first started. I, you know, I, when I very, very first started, I first started working when I was 20 or 21, I think. And I towed the line. I did what I was, I did what I made work look like work. I made the obvious look obviouser. I made a book jacket look like a book jacket, right? Until I was like, hey, wait a minute. I have my own sense of humor in my eyes. I, I was probably like 26, 27, and I'm making a lot of bread because I'm towing the line. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I've got my own opinions. I got my own, my own things I want to see in my work. And I started employing that with my clients and a bunch of clients dropped me because they wanted to expect something very particular. And I wasn't interested in that. So I have always been James Victoria. I've always tried to do this. I have always tried to put my opinion in my work. I have always tried to put a level of artistry in my work because I know that the audience digs that. And I, I just dig it. I like playing. I want to feel like I got away with something. (laughs) I think it's okay. You know, I want to be a creative monster because I can control that monster. In in an interview I I was listening to earlier, you said that when you're, when you're creating art, you actually start with, you start with what do you want to say before you start worrying about how you're going to do it or what the technique is going to be. But talk about that a little bit, because I think that's a big part of finding your own voice And, and whether you're doing design or photography, videography, you're doing music you can still take the same approach to what you create, but it's all starting with, what do you want to say? I remember, I remember when I, when I was first starting out, like when the, one of the first Batman movies, I forget who played Batman, Michael Keaton, maybe, but um, Jack Nicholson played the Joker, like a terrible movie, right? The newer ones are, are a little bit more into the Christian Bale stuff is awesome. But I remember with the Joker, when he first, he got, he got thrown into the, the vat, 
right? And he's disfigured and you don't see him for a bit. And then the camera goes into this big expensive office and there's the back of a chair and you hear the voice of the Joker. And all of a sudden the Joker kind of spins around and he's got that hideous smile and he says, wait till they get a load of this. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go with my work. Whenever I'm, th you know, I come up with like someone, I get a job or this or that. I'm like, where do I stand on this? What's my opinion? Not what do the client want? What do they want? I have no idea what they want. They want me. That's freedom. And I know, I know, Brian, I know there's, there are people in your audience who are like, you're just like an anarchist. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're, you're sucking off the teat. Come on. There's so much more available to you. I want to enjoy the process. I want to enjoy the work I make. I want to make art. I want to make good, interesting, creative work. And I get away with it. That's who I am now. Now I get, now I get asked to be that thing, right? So that's very fulfilling to me. Even like writing fake perfection, I'm writing, I'm writing bits of the new one. Even the, one of the chapters is called Cruising Pain. And I'm like, man, this is fun writing this stuff or making up words. I just make up words and the publisher goes, okay, that's, yep. <laughs> you know, you had mentioned it earlier. Yes, I want to make myself happy first because I know that if I make myself happy, if I make work that makes me chuckle, then I know that I can make the work pregnant with that and it will go out into the world and make other people happy. I think the root of it all is you're not afraid to potentially fail. Like I would imagine that every single piece of art you put out of the world is not a smashing success and not hanging up in the Louvre right now. I think that some of the work you do is on a shelf somewhere unused or not accepted by the client. And you said in your book to fail more because that's how you're going to learn best. I think this is the mantra that more and more creatives should take on. And I think it's worth you talking about that because you've probably experienced the best of both worlds and being open to fail and being willing to fail leads to the success and the creating great art that you have been able to create so far. Yeah, I think I think being open to fail, you know, I mean, the worst, the worst, the worst thing that happen if you send in work that that someone doesn't like that what they're just going to ask you to, you know, try something else It's fine. Right. But you have to risk that you have to take that risk because the only way to success of any kind is through failure. You know, if you don't take those chances and if you're not making risky work, like if I don't make myself nervous when I'm sending work in and if I don't make my client nervous, then I'm not doing my job. If I'm not pushing, I'm not doing my job. You know, I'm just like giving something to somebody they already expect, like off a menu, one from column A with an appetizer, boom, there you go, right? Not interesting. But yeah, you have to risk failure. In my new book, it's called uh, Drawing Fire, right? You stick your head up out of that foxhole. <laughs> you need to do that. You need to draw fire for your, not, not only for yourself, but for other people. Like one of the reasons why I take risks and why I write about it and why I put it in books and stuff is to free other people. I'm like Moses with a Sharpie for creative people, right? I want to set my people free. But the reason we take these chances is so we realize that we won't die. You won't die. You'll just get better. And the client isn't right, even if they don't like it. That's so what? Move on. That is obviously not your client. The worst that can happen is kind of nothing. I'm like, hey, that's pretty awesome. You should just send that now to the client. Oh, but it's not really per no, 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 no. Because you're going to what? You're going to be up until three o'clock in the morning noodling all these little, but nobody gives a shit. Nobody sees that but you. So just send it out the door. Get some sleep. Make yourself happy. <laughs> um, because nothing's going to happen. 
so many of us are so afraid of we have to please the client, but what happens is that is not our client and we never define who our client is. And I work with a lot of freelance people to get them to understand that the audience and how to find their audience. And the way you find your audience is you take risks. You do bold, audacious work. And people will say, well, but I'll get haters and but my people won't like it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Those are not your people. Those, the ones that leave, the ones that hate, ignore them. They're not your people. Your people will show up. Might be three of them now, but it's going to be 10 of them and then it's going to be 100 of them. Then it's going to be thousands of them. I would say in most cases, if you don't have haters, you're probably not doing anything worth a damn. And those who are vocal are basically people who just want to spout off, people who are jealous that you're doing something, and people who do less than you. So why do we worry about that? I don't even know if I have haters. I don't think, you know, and it's weird because I kind of put myself out there. And I don't know if that because of my reputation of putting things out there, people just don't know where to jump in and hate. <laughs> you said you said you just launched a TikTok, so it's only a matter of time before you oh, get, yeah, there you go. get haters on there. It's only a matter of time. They're, they're waiting in line to call me out. Now, I'm going to be on TikTok like dancing and pointing at boxes and, and the boxes are going to say, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> So this is great, man. I, I've really uh, enjoyed our conversation about this. And um, if you have a, a second or a, a few more minutes, I'd love for you to tell us about the upcoming book you have coming out and maybe some of the concepts and things that you're going to be writing about in that book. So Fat Perfection was called, uh, the subtitle is Dangerous Ideas on the Business of Life. And it's just that. It's ideas. And it's kind of like a, a creative mindset. There's like five different sections. And the sections are loosely set up to follow the arc of the hero, the Joseph Campbell model, right? Finding your voice. And then when you do find your voice, you have to practice it. And there comes fear. That's the second part. And then the third part is start because all beginnings are hard. Starting is hard. And then action because I'm an action guy. You know, action, action, action. Action beats worry. Action beats too much thinking. Action always wins. And then habits because we have to be conscious of our habits. Our habits form our character and form our destiny. And fear and self-worth and procrastination, those are just habits. Their lies. And then the last chapter is a uh, purpose. So finding your purpose. So the new book, this came out before quarantine, but since quarantine, I've been teaching a bunch of courses and I've become kind of the how-to guy for these ideas. Like James, I have fear. What do I do? Or James, I want to find my purpose. What do I do? James, I'm searching for my voice. What do I do? So now the next book, and we don't know the title just yet. And possibly there were a couple of things that I was playing with. One is um, your work is a gift. The other one is uh, there ain't no rules. And you also, you joked before the call, you're just going to call it Fect Perfection too, because you're never going to find a perfect title. Because <laughs> I'm searching for perfection again, right? And Fect Perfection is, is the best and worst title ever. You know, I spell it wrong. People say it wrong. But so it's a much more practical look at these ideas. Like, how do I do that? So like cruising pain, for example, like understanding that we do walk around creatively limping, not really fully using our, using our resources because, you know, out of fear is this habit that we've created. So yeah, I think the practical aspect is a big part of it. It will still be beautiful. It will still be illustrated. It will still be, you know, audacious and kind of uh, bold because that's the fun part. Exactly. So I think our audience loved this conversation and hopefully as much as I did. And uh, where do you want to send our audience to connect with you or to learn more about you? Or actually, I know you have Camp Victoria coming up in November as well. Do you want to talk about that and send them where they can find out more information about that? 
Yeah, I, everything is on uh, jamesvictory.com. The book is on there and the camp is on there and there's a, a link for art and prints. And then if they wanted to see where I'm practicing, all you know, like putting out new ideas and putting out new work, it's generally uh, through Instagram, which is just at jamesvictory. And we'll have links to all this in our show notes. So you can get links to everything he just mentioned by just going to sixfigurecreative.com slash 210. And you can get to everything that he just talked about there. But yeah, I think I think a big part of the new book and one of the things that critics that keeps jumping up on my shoulder when I'm when I'm working on it or is um, I want to tell the truth and the truth is really hard. Most people don't really want the truth. That's why they limp, because they're so afraid of looking at the bank, for example. I think the worst part is as creatives and as someone you write about the stuff and this is what you teach people and you've talked to big corporations about this stuff is you still deal with it. So it's like, it's not about just solving the issue. It's all about solving the issue for now and it's going to come up again and it's never going to go away. It's just a matter of lessening the effect and being aware of these things controlling you and just winning the battle more times than you're losing it. And I think you've done a great job of winning many of those battles as a creative when it comes to fear, when it comes to those little gremlins on your shoulder or demons on your shoulder, telling you that X, Y, and Z is is the way to be. And, and you know, as a creative, that's not how it is. I'm going to write how it should be. So I, I look forward to your next book. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. 